Well, good morning. I hope you've had a good week, have you? The choir has. They're always, you guys are just always right there with me. I'm so thankful. Thank you, choir. Did you have a good week this week? Very good. Praise the Lord. I hope that you did. My week was incredible. I got to go uh, on our Joy Club picnic on Tuesday, and potluck is my spiritual gift. If you didn't know that about your pastor, that's high on the list. I've tested, and on all of the spiritual gifts tests, potluck is right up there at one of my number one gifts. I just appreciate that uh, so much, that that's a part of our church family. Uh, and then we've had a, just a great week of worship, great Bible study midweek. Uh, my family came back down this week, and that was a joy. And uh, as of last night, we have a contract on a house here. So we are just, God is just answering prayers. Um, I, I don't want you to stop praying yet. As I mentioned to you last week, we've got our house in Olive Branch under contract. And so we found a place here. And uh, we're just thankful for how God is working. Just confirmation after confirmation uh, that we are where we need to be. And I look forward in the days ahead to serving with you and alongside you and to shepherding and pastoring here. Let me ask you a question. As we work through this series uh, on It Matters What You Believe, uh, today we're talking about salvation, and there's probably no greater question than we can ask. What are we trusting in for our salvation? People ask that universally, and, and there is a right and a wrong answer. And so here's the question I want to ask you. Would you rather be surrounded with people in your life that tell you what you want to hear or tell you what you need to hear? How many would say you, you like for people to tell you what you want to hear? Anybody here? You just like that? I, I won't deny that I like that. However, I, I appreciate people in my life who will tell me the truth. Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say it this way, it's better to speak truth that hurts than heals than a, a word that comforts than kills. We can give to somebody a sense of false hope and assurance by telling them, well, God is love and everyone goes to heaven, but that's not the truth. And while that might bring short-term comfort in the long run, it has tragic consequence. I'll illustrate and then we'll move into our sermon. Just about a year ago, we were traveling on our way to South Asia for a mission conference. We were, had the privilege of going and preaching to International Mission Board personnel and uh, on our way there, I, I was nervous about this trip. I've traveled internationally, but I'd never taken my family with me. And Stephanie and Haley, our middle daughter, and Heidi, our youngest daughter, were with us. Hannah was off doing a, a summer internship. And, and I was nervous about this trip. We had a stop midway. We'd flown about 14, 15 hours, and we stopped on the Arabian Peninsula for one night's stay. It was the very first night of Ramadan. There were just all kinds of things about it that just had me a little on edge. I was uneasy. Well, I have a bit of flight anxiety. I'll just acknowledge that. And you get in a plane for 14 hours, and if you have flight anxiety, that's not a good mix. And so I went by our family physician the week before. And on the week, uh, the week before, I asked him, do you have anything that might help with flight anxiety? And he said, I can take care of that. And I, I'm just real trusting of him. I love him. He's a godly man. And he said, I can give you something that will help ease the anxiety there, and I'll give you one pill to take on the way and one pill to take on the way back if you don't need them on the way back. Fine. Well, we, we, got, we were awoken, uh, awakened uh, early in the morning, about 4.30 for the first call of Ramadan. And, and, and it was just this anxious time. And so we got to the airport and I, I took what he called my happy pill and, and I was just going to be calm and everything was going to be okay. And when we got on the airplane, I realized quickly that I didn't feel good. I, something wasn't right. 
And so we, we leveled off and my, my palms were a little sweaty and, and kind of clammy and my throat was dry. And I said, I need to get up and go wash my face. So as soon as they leveled the plane off and they took the seatbelt sign off and the little bell ding, uh, dinged, I got up and started walking. And as I was walking down the aisle of the airplane, I could see blackness closing in. If you've ever experienced that, it is not a fun feeling. And, and, and I'm a, a fairly large guy, and most of the South Asians on that plane were very fearful that I was about to fall on them. I just, whoo, face first. I landed there. Now, what happened? My blood pressure had just dropped out. The, the nerves, I didn't have a great breakfast, hadn't slept well. Not, not that big a deal. I was immediately up. But let me tell you the rest of the story. My wo lovely, wonderful, godly wife, who brings me comfort and peace and in times of emergency like that, never would have a cynical word to say, you know, is by my side, holding my hand, everything's okay. They're making a big deal out of this. They're, they're just all around swarming and saying, uh, you know, we, we've just got to make sure he's got medical attention. I said, I just want to go sit down. I'm fine. I really am. And uh, everything kind of calmed down. One of the guys on our trip was a nurse, and he'd taken my blood pressure and said, that's what it is. He said, your blood pressure's low. You're fine. So Stephanie leans down to my ear and said, you okay? And I said, I'm good. And I said, I'm just glad it's over, and I want to go sit down. Now, this is where in one of those times she knew what I needed to hear, not necessarily what I wanted to hear. She said, over... She said, it's not over, Scott. While you were passed out, they turned the plane around. We're going back. Uh, 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 my heart just began to flutter and beat and beat and beat. And I said, please tell me you're lying to me. And she said, well, yes, I'm lying, but your blood pressure's back up now. <laughs> that is a true story. That really did happen. It matters what you believe. We're in the third sermon of our series on It Matters, and I, we just did uh, statements of affirmation, and I'll quickly review them, and then we'll move into our text in Ephesians. The first one, we very simply said, we believe in the authority of the Bible, and we affirm that by saying together, we believe that the Bible is God's Word, and we believe that it has the, the right to command our belief and practice. Last week we simply said, we believe that uh, the God of the Bible is the one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we talked about the Trinity. Well, this week we want to talk about the nature of salvation. And as we do that together, again, it's so vitally important. The question gets to the heart of what are you trusting for eternal life? Sometimes in witness and, and evangelism training of, of various sorts, especially evangelism explosion, I think was where this question first came out. If you were to die today and stand before God, and he asked, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And Hardy Street, I can tell you, I've spent my life in ministry and, and others in this place have spent their life trying to help people with clarity, understand what the Bible says about this crucial question. Really, it cuts to the heart of who we are as Christians. How does someone gain eternal life? Tragically, and, and most difficult to take as a teacher or as a pastor, is this, that well-intentioned people who've sat under your teaching for even a length of time, when pressed with that question, might say something like, well, I've lived a good life, or I've done the best that I could do. Or perhaps I'm basically a good person and I've tried to not ever hurt anyone. The problem is those things don't deal with the root issue of sin. 
the problem of sin that causes our separation, and so they don't get to the solution. Being a nice person or a good person in our own estimation simply does not pass the standard of perfection that is required to enter heaven. You realize that, don't you? From a theological standpoint, if we ask what does God require for a person to enter into heaven, the answer is sinless perfection. He is a holy God and sinful beings cannot be in the presence of holiness. And Jesus Christ, we know and we will study today and understand, uh, became our perfection. He who knew no sin became sin so that we who knew no righteousness at all could be righteous in Christ. But as we answer that question, as we think about that question, it's vital for us to come to a very foundational conclusion. This is one of those defining beliefs that we must get right. This is one that distinguishes us from other religions. It's one that distinguishes uh, Christians, true Christians, from cults. How is a person saved? By what authority do we have reconciliation with God? If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite your attention today to the book of Ephesians. We'll be looking in chapter 2 at verses 8 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. As we look at these verses together, I think that they will lend very clearly to us an understanding of this foundational doctrine. Now first I want us to look together at our statement of affirmation. Hopefully you've turned there to Ephesians chapter 2. But in your listening guide, in your bulletin today, there's a statement of affirmation. Let's read it together, and it's on the the screen as well. Let's read all, all of us in one voice. I believe a person comes into a right relationship with God by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2. If you wouldn't mind, let's stand together in honor of the reading of God's Word. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus these words. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that You would take this Word and and impress upon our hearts the depth of our salvation, the breadth of our salvation, the great joy of our salvation. And the vital message of truth that we must share as believers with a lost world. Thank you, Lord, for these instructions through your word on what we must rightly believe. And we pray that you would preach, that you would help me to be hidden behind the cross, that I would decrease, that you would increase, and that your spirit would speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. May God... Uh, honor and bless the reading of His Word. For by grace you have been saved, the Word says there in verse 8. I want us to point out four very simple truths about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Uh, That has been historically a Baptist distinctive that we believe that there's nothing that we can add to gain salvation. There's nothing you can do to earn it or to buy it or inherit it. It doesn't come by family position. You can't say, well, my grandfather was a Baptist pastor, so I'm saved. You can't say that my mom took me to Sunday school, so I'm saved. You can't say, well, I was baptized, uh, so I am saved. There are no works of any sort that will save us. In fact, that verse or those verses are very clear on that matter that we are saved by grace and we stop there I think along the way 
this morning we'll simply be defining some of the key words in this text as we look at grace and faith, as we look together at gift and salvation. As we think about these words together, I hope that this will bring to you some clarity. Now, I know what the tendency is. I know that the tendency is, well, this is going to be an evangelistic message about how to be saved. And I've been saved for a long time, so this is for someone else. Let me draw you back in, if that's you this morning. If that thought has crossed your mind, why don't you just pull back in close with me for a moment? I'm afraid that we have a misunderstanding of the gospel that we live by when we get to a place where we would say we need to go deeper than the gospel. I don't believe that we need to go deeper than the gospel. I believe we need to go deeper into the gospel. For the infinite treasure in Christ that is available to us is something that we should never get over. We should never get past. We ought to always come to the place where we are just enamored with all that Jesus Christ did for us there on the cross and in resurrection power as he uh, overcame death and hell in the grave and gave victory to you and to me that would believe and, and whosoever would believe. So I want us to look at these four central truths together as we look at these from this text. I hope that it would just inspire and encourage you that are believers uh, to grow in that uh, desire to know Him more as well as a desire to share Him. In fact, that really is foundational. Who is Paul writing to? He's writing to believers. He's writing to those that have already been saved. So he's not just preaching the gospel to a lost world and the church is sitting uh, idly by on the side and saying, go get them. No, he's preaching to the church. And he's saying, you've been saved by grace through faith. And so as we pay attention to that, I think that we'll draw some wonderful, wonderful conclusions. Number one, I can never do enough to deserve salvation. I can never do enough to deserve salvation. So very important for you and for me to see. Think about this. Simply defined, grace is God's unmerited favor. It's, it means that it's something that we do not deserve. If anything was done on your behalf to deserve it or earn it, it's not grace. Think about that. If, if God owes salvation to you because you're a pretty good person, it's not grace. If God owes you or me salvation because we've tried to do our best, it's not grace. If God owes us salvation because we were born into a Christian family, it's not grace. You see, grace is that unmerited favor of God and the Christ did everything we needed to, to have for salvation. And that's the next point that I want us to get to. We can never do enough, but Christ did everything for our provision of salvation. Christ did it all. Grace cuts against the grain, though, of human thinking. I believe if you really follow this with me, you would agree. Grace cuts against the grain of human thinking because it doesn't seem fair. And yet it's tipped in our favor. But there's something about us that likes fairness. There's something about us that wants to weigh out uh, in, in, in our economy. But in God's economy, fairness is not the rule. Fairness is not the way. Imagine, if you will, a man who is a thief. Imagine, if you will, this thief hurt people. Maybe in his robbery, he injured people. He had disdain for people and didn't care. Selfish. All of his life, spent his life just in, in boisterous and belligerent ways. I mean, his life was just absolutely rep reprobate. And, and you would look at him and you would say, that kind of man just deserves whatever judgment he gets. And he comes to his dying days. And in the last moments of his life, he turns to God by faith in repentance 
and is saved and goes to heaven. You and I say, well, that just doesn't seem fair. Well, how about this? Let's imagine a man who is deeply religious. He's often found at his place in church. He gives regularly and frequently. He gives generously. He has been faithful in his marriage. He's a a good, upstanding citizen. And he dies without Christ in his heart, and he goes to hell. You say, well, that just doesn't seem fair. I didn't make those stories up. Both are found in the book of Luke. If you think about a thief hanging on a cross next to Jesus, he'd spent his entire life in in, uh, criminal ways. And yet he trusted in Jesus. And Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And then there's another story that Jesus tells in the book of Luke. And the account is of a Pharisee who finds himself in hell. He'd done all the right things. He'd been a religious man. He had given, and yet he lacked faith in God, accessing the grace of God found only in Jesus Christ. That doesn't seem fair. Hardy Street, can I tell you this? Let me just let you in on something. I I have thought through this fairness issue. I don't want fair. If God gave me fair, I would breathe my last breath and die, and I would spend a Christless eternity separated from God. If God gave us fair, all of us would be damned and doomed. We'd be hopelessly, helplessly lost apart from Christ. Grace is not fair. It is scandalous in that it is so tipped in our favor. It's unmerited favor. God's honor and blessing upon us. Some have said it this way in a a simple acrostic, that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, that we are connected to God, that we are reconciled to God through Christ, and there's nothing that you can do to earn it or inherit it, and He has done everything that is necessary for it to be a part of your life. So as we think about this idea of grace and a relationship with Christ through uh, faith or by faith, it's the only way to salvation. And that is so foundational because there's a world around us longing for ways to get to heaven, looking for ways to get to heaven, trying earnestly to earn the favor of their God. And yet the God of the Bible has revealed to us that He is a grace-filled God that offers salvation freely to all who will believe. Christ did everything to provide salvation for us. If you wouldn't mind, give me a moment, and I, I want to walk you through. I didn't put it in your listening guide, but I want to give you seven words that describe our salvation. What did Christ do? Christ is our substitute. You, you may want to jot these down somewhere. First Peter 3.18, Jesus died in my place. That's what Jesus did. And you think about what Christ did. He died in your place. You deserved it, and he took it upon himself. Like the Lamb of the Old Testament Passover, the judgment of God passed over the people and rested on the Lamb. I I, I never want you to forget that image. The the image of uh, death and judgment passing you over and resting on the Lamb. You see, a Lamb died. The blood was put on the doorpost and the lentils. And Jesus, the substitute, the perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb, is the one for you and for me who is our Passover. The wrath of God passed us over. You see, Jesus rescued us from the wrath of God. You say, well, I, I'm not under the wrath of God. I talk to people who say that all the time. Well, me and I ask them about their relationship to God. And they say, me and God have kind of got our own thing worked out. So really, how did you get that worked out? And they say, well, I, you know, I, I try not to bother him and he doesn't bother me. Do you realize, Hardy Street, that hell, I, I've come to think about this. 
Hell is where sinners get what they ultimately wanted, away from God. Hell is a place where sinners find themselves away from God, and they've lived their life that way. I don't want His authority. I don't want accountability. I don't want a relationship. I reject His offer of grace. I want away from Him. And so when we leave this life and our future eternity is irrevocably fixed, we are away from God if we've not trusted in Christ. You see, it's that simple. God, this gracious, loving creator God is a God of justice. And God did not set aside his justice to offer salvation. His justice was fully satisfied in Jesus Christ and his atoning work on the cross. He was our substitute. But here's word number two as we work through these. He's our justification. Not only did Jesus die in my place, he made me right with God. It's a word from the courts that means literally I'm seen as innocent, no longer guilty. Number three is reconciliation. Jesus made peace with God possible. Number four is adoption. I love that word. He adopted us and made us a part of God's family. We were not a people and yet he's made us a people. John 1.12 says, To as many as have received Him, to them gave He right to become sons of God. What a beautiful picture. Redemption. Maybe my very favorite word in all of Scripture, besides the name Jesus and the word hope, is the word redeemed. I don't know about you, but that word redeemed just captures my imagination. Can you imagine someone being stolen away from their homeland and captured as a human slave and taken to a foreign country where they can't speak the language and there's fear all around and they're shackled hand and foot and they're put to a slave or brought to a slave auction and they're put before the people and bids begin and the bids begin and as the bids begin they're barking out bids and the price is raised and the price is raised and all of the sudden one in the back offers something a syllable is said and you as you're in your chains and in your fear not knowing who will purchase you one from the back cries out a syllable and that syllable is so overwhelmingly shocking to those that can understand that language that they gasp and he steps forward and he pays a price of redemption that is so high that no one else could possibly bid again And He comes to you and He sets you free from your shackles. They fall before you and He gives you full and free and final pardon. And you say, I want to follow this one. I'll follow Him anywhere. And we become bond slaves is the biblical word. And that's the picture of what Jesus has done for a believer. Jesus set you free from the shackles of sin. He set you free from the burden of sin. And He gave you freedom in Him to live a righteous life by Him. And in Christ Jesus and only in Christ Jesus can we experience the grace of God. And it's redemption that happens because of Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. He atoned us. That means that He satisfied God's judgment. He forgives us. He sent our sins away from us. He rescued us. So why do we need to be saved? Because we are sinners and the wages of sin is death. And death is the eternal separation of people from God. The third point that I want you to see here, not only can we not do enough ever to be saved, and not only did Jesus do everything, I want you to think through this. Salvation is both free and costly. Salvation is both free and costly. Go back to the text with me, if you will. For by grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. Through faith. You see, our role in this is to receive it. 
Now, when we think about faith, and we've talked about this on Wednesday nights as we've talked about Abraham, faith has multiple components. There's a truth you need to actually be believing in. There's a content, a knowledge. Think about it. I hear people say this, and you've heard this before. It really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Sincerity is not the mark of truth. That would be about like saying it doesn't matter what medicine you take as long as you're sincere. Right? You know, I've got a few bottles of different kinds. I'll just take this one today because I'm sincere. It's going to make me better. No. It can kill you. And the reality is that salvation is only available by His grace through faith. So that knowledge is a mental ascent. But you also have to agree with it. That's the second part. You see, if it was just the mental recognition, demons believe and tremble, but they're not saved. And then you have to trust it. So you have to, have, you have to know it, you have to agree with it, and you have to trust it. You have to submit yourself to truth. And believing in its ultimate sense is believing something so strongly that you actually place your trust in it. The simplest illustration is one that I used last Wednesday night. I can know everything there is to know about an airplane. I can know about torque and lift and thrust and, and the physics of taking a plane off of the ground and into the sky. But I haven't really trusted that until I purchase a ticket and place myself in that plane and take off. I can say, yes, I believe that plane can fly, but my trust is placed in it when I actually get on board. So you can give mental assent, yeah, I believe that there's a God. And a lot of people do that. But until you place your faith there, so my question for you today, individually and as a church family, what are we trusting for salvation? What are you trusting for your eternity? Are you placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His provision of His death, His burial, and resurrection? That is the way that we're saved. And Paul said very simply, you are saved by grace through faith. Now, we'll move into this later in the series. Right now, we're talking about what we believe. Later, we'll talk about how we behave. But if we included verse 10, it says that we are saved and that faith and that grace leads us to uh, do works. Those little prepositions are important. If you mix them up and say we're saved by works for grace, you've missed it. If you're saved somehow by the things that you do so that we'll earn you God's grace, that's a treadmill I never want to get on. In fact, I can't think of a treadmill that I do want to get on, but that's a whole other issue. <laughs> think about that. Let me tell you about Justin. Justin was a bright-eyed kid, red hair, just sharp-looking. He knocked on our door, he and a friend. Oh, I, I need to say his name tag didn't just say Justin. It said Elder Justin. He, he was a Mormon. And Justin and his friend came and knocked on our door, and we just began to dialogue. And I told him right off the bat, full disclosure, I'm a Baptist pastor. Well, both of them got visions of grandeur in their eyes. They're going to put a notch in their belt. We're going to convert this Baptist preacher to become Mormon. And I told them, I want to learn from you. And at this point, they're foaming at the mouth. I said, I want you to teach me what you believe, because I really don't know a lot about your beliefs. And I said, but I only want to do that if you would be honest and open and willing to listen to me. And he quoted from the book of Nephi and the book of Mormon and said, basically his definition of grace, same language, grace, but in essence it says this, I'm paraphrasing, it says that after you have done all that you can do, then grace takes over. And my question to Justin was like a punch in the face to him. I said, Justin, how do you know when you've done 
enough. Tears began to well up in his eyes. He had made a mess of his young life. He'd gotten kicked out of BYU and his parents sent him on his mission and he was trying to find his place in life. And quickly I could see that his counterpart was very uncomfortable with where this conversation was going and it didn't take long that they swept away but I shared with him this passage of scripture and then I shared with him from 1 John 5 the very simple fact that you can know that you're saved these things that I've written to you that you may know that you have eternal life I don't want a hope so salvation. I don't want a maybe so salvation. I want a confident guarantee of salvation that we can say confidently it has nothing to do with who I am. It's not that I'm saved by my faith. Listen to those prepositions. If I'm saved by my faith, then I'm going to continually question, do I have enough faith? Do I have the right kind of faith? No, I am saved by grace through faith. Hallelujah to the Lamb. If that doesn't excite you, if that doesn't, that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet, all right? That's one of those things that we need to just wrestle with. It needs to become a part of your daily devotional and prayer life. Jesus, I'm so overwhelmed at your grace that I would walk in it today. I need to take the medicine of the gospel and apply it to my life every single day. Because the Bible says, just as you were saved by grace, so walk in him. How? By grace. We don't get saved by grace and then stay saved by works. We get saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and we continue to walk in that grace. How? By faith. And so church today, I want us to see that salvation is free. Freely available. It's freely available to you today. If you've never trusted, maybe you've been on that treadmill. You're trying to work to earn God's approval and you've never felt like you measured up. Here's the thing that we need to see. Max Lucado said it this way, God loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you more than he loves you now because he loves you with an infinite, perfect love. There's nothing that we can do that will make him love us any less because his essence is love, but he is a just God and his justice was fully satisfied on the cross of Calvary and it's available to you if you by faith will trust that Jesus, your substitute, died in your place to atone for your sin. That's about as simple as I know how to put it, church. And that needs to be the message, the clarion call from our church that resonates outward. Jesus saves. Well, we sang it last week. I pray that you've lived it this week. Jesus saves. It's good news. It's good news, right? It is still good news. I tell you, if that doesn't ring your bell, your clapper's broke. Come on, folks. We need to get with it. I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm just talking about a deep sense of reflection on the, the truth of the gospel and the glory of His grace and His mercy toward us that offers us salvation. Because our statement was clear. We believe that a relationship with God is available by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's a foundational point. Salvation is free and costly. It costs Christ His very lifeblood. Number four and finally... Salvation is a gift for me to receive, not a reward for me to earn. John Stott said this, The gospel is good news of mercy to the undeserving. The symbol of the religion of Jesus is the cross, not the scales. He's not weighing out your good and your bad. 
You're not going to come to the end of your days and stand before God's judgment and He do a pro and con list on your life. It's not because you were involved in some project at our church. It's not because you were baptized or otherwise. I pray that the things that we do, we do because we're saved, not in some way thinking that because of them we will be saved. The simple ABCs that I learned even in Bible school have helped guide me toward a true understanding. What does Scripture say about being saved? It says that you admit your need for Jesus. You admit your sinfulness. The word is repent in Scripture that you would turn a change of mind and that you would believe, that you would place your faith in what He's done for you. In the book of Romans, it says that it would, if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. The Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it's a, a confession. We admit in our heart and in our mind we cannot save ourselves. There's nothing we can do. But Jesus has done it all and we believe in that and then we confess that Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. Today, if that's the need of your heart, I pray that you would come and just take one of our staff members. I'll be right down here at the front, and we would love to share with you from God's Word very simply what you need to do to be saved. What do you need to do? Receive what Jesus has already done. You can be saved. If you're a believer here today, and many of you are, many of you have given great testimony of your love for the Lord. We've had opportunity even in my first couple of weeks to just talk about what Jesus has done, how good to you He's been. If that's the case, why don't you just commit fresh and new that you're going to gaze upon the cross of Christ and you're going to let that impact and infect your life this week in a powerful way and that you would begin to pray for lostness around you, pray for lost people that are around you and share the good news. There are people trying to earn heaven. There are tr people trying to, to muster all that they can. And yet in this world of all of those things that are going on, Jesus saves. How do you receive the gift of salvation? Trust Christ today. You think about the, the Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu, Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish Mosaic covenant. I'll just keep the Ten Commandments, the Muslim code of law, the notion of God's love coming to us free of charge. No strings attached seems to go against everything in our culture. And yet on this we believe. Jesus saves. Let's pray.